Welcome to another edition of Capital Ideas, the semi-regular podcast where Democratic members of the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. We're here today with Roger Goodman, who represents Washington's 45th legislative district. The 45th is a T-shaped chunk of King County that includes Woodenville, Duval, and parts of Kirkland, Redmond, and Sammamish. Roger chairs the House Public Safety Committee, and every time a bill designed to combat impaired driving or put a stop to domestic violence comes out of the House, there's an excellent chance you'll find his fingerprints all over it. We recorded this conversation Monday, May 23, 2016, and here's how we started. I really appreciate you stopping by today. I know it's a busy time of year. Thank you for visiting with us. You've got a reputation as bipartisan, and that's what I think we're going to talk about today, so let's jump right into it. How is it that in a very partisan world, you've managed to gain a reputation as somebody who works on both sides of the aisle and works towards getting good legislation, regardless of the personalities involved? That's one of my rules, actually, is don't be partisan. It doesn't feel good, doesn't sound good, and uh, it doesn't work either. My first rule, by the way, is thank people, because, uh, you know, they're the ones who are doing all the work, frankly. I'm just representing them. And uh, the second rule is give everyone else the credit because they deserve it. I'm not the expert. They uh, give me all the ideas. And then the third rule is don't be partisan. And so when I introduce legislation, the first thing I do is go to the other side of the aisle and find a co-sponsor from the other party. And uh, I've been working well with them for 10 years now. One of the things that you are known for down here in Olympia is your work on public safety. You're obviously the chair of the Public Safety Committee in the House of Representatives, but even before you took that chair, you've been working on impaired driving legislation, criminal justice. How did you zero in on that? Is that what you do in your law practice? No, actually, I was trained in environmental law. My great passion is to make sure this planet is sustainable for human habitation. It's not looking very good at the moment. Um, But uh, when I arrived in the legislature, intending to be an environmental champion, there were many of them already. And uh, I found, having already worked in the criminal justice arena, I was the, the director of the Sentencing Guidelines Commission, got to know all the judges and prosecutors and, and other stakeholders in the criminal justice system already. Uh, and so very few legislators are lawyers, first of all. I'm one of the few. Uh, and very few legislators have any interest or expertise in criminal justice matters. So I just gravitated to that. Uh, but the other thing is that I asked the question, sort of uh, the policy question, where is the harm out there and what can we do to reduce the harm? Literally, the physical harm in our communities. And statistically, we found that it's drunk driving and domestic violence. And so from the very beginning of my career in the legislature, I've fought to reduce domestic violence and to reduce uh, uh, drunk driving, and with great success, actually. We've reduced deaths and injuries over the years. I think a lot of people assume that since the legislature is where laws are made, that everybody down here is a lawyer. Obviously, that's not the case. Do you find that being a lawyer gives you a little bit of a leg up in this arena? Yeah, people would be surprised. There aren't many lawyers in the legislature. There are, I think, about uh, maybe less than 15 of us out of the 147 members of the, the House and Senate combined. And yes, my training as a lawyer definitely helps me as a lawmaker. You have a legal practice. How is it that you jumped from that career into having this whole other one? Well, I guess uh, politics is in my blood. My father was a college professor, and he taught, big surprise, political science. And so I grew up in a house where the books on the walls were, uh, you know, all about uh, politics and government and history and philosophy and uh, just took to it early. 
Um, and so um, I don't want to say I'm, I was destined for this, but I did uh, have in mind public service from the very beginning because of the, the ethic in my family as well. My mother was a very active volunteer in the community. So in school, uh, in high school in particular, I studied language. And then beyond that, in college, I majored in policy studies and government and a lot of political philosophy as well. I studied the social security system in this country, uh, spent time in South Africa studying race relations, uh, and so uh, sort of been oriented that way. And then finally in law school, studied environmental law. And as I said, that's my passion. Uh, we can't worry about any of these other issues, about higher education or about traffic or the things that uh, my constituents are, are concerned about unless we have clean air to breathe and clean water to drink. And so those are really the primary issues that I've been concerned about. You mentioned that your passion is the environment, but in Olympia, one of your specialties has been legislation involving impaired driving, trying to make the roads safer. You've been working on it ever since, apparently, you were sworn in as a legislator. Why? Yeah, I do serve on the Environment Committee, so I maintain that area of work, but when I arrived in Olympia, I asked the question, who's getting hurt out there? Uh, what can we do in the government to minimize the harm? And the statistics are pretty clear. It's drunk driving and domestic violence. So I have, from the very beginning, uh, legislated actively to reduce the harm from both domestic violence and drunk driving. We've measurably improved. I, we were actually a national leader when it comes to reducing deaths and injuries on our roadways. I'm very proud of that work. But uh, we're, we you know, have to make more progress. We've changed the culture to some extent. Uh, we have these ignition interlock devices. Some people may have heard of this. We have to breathe your car started if you're a known drunk driver. So we've prevented thousands of cars from getting on the roads and prevented hundreds of deaths every year. And that's really gratifying. Uh, don't necessarily get credit for that in the newspaper because that's not very exciting. Death prevented tonight. You don't see that headline, you know. Uh, but we have tragedies that continue. And so the work continues as well. How do you define domestic violence? That's a, a term that is widely used and probably widely misunderstood. Yeah, domestic violence sounds like there's a lot of violence going on uh, in, the, in the households. And I do have to say, behind the doors of too many of our homes, and it doesn't matter what uh, socioeconomic level or what race or ethnic background, it's happening way too much. But it, it's not violent until it gets violent. It's, a, it's more of a pattern of abuse and control. There are some terroristic people out there, mostly men, uh, who ask their partners, you know, where are you going? Or, uh, you know, only give them a certain amount of money or, you know, put GPS devices on, on their cars and on their phones. And, and, uh, and, and, but, and if they don't comply, then it can turn to violence. And so it's a lot more complicated than drunk driving. Uh, you know, when you're a drunk driver, you do, we just put a device on your car and we, you breathe into it. If it's alcohol, the car doesn't start. We have narrowed down uh, a, a certain universe of domestic violence perpetrators, repeat offenders, uh, who one after the other will just beat up their girlfriends or their partners or the same partner over and over again. And we are not holding them accountable. We're not giving them the effective treatment programs that they need. And they also don't, don't just beat up their, their partners. They are violent people. They are at highest risk to commit any violent offense in our communities. That's the legislation I'm working on now. Uh, we've already uh, addressed what we call the victim-defendant problem, where someone who's a victim of years of abuse and control, and when I say abuse, I mean verbal abuse and this, again, subtle pattern of, of control, can't take it anymore and flings something at the guy, and 
He's bleeding when the police show up, and then they arrest her, and then she goes to jail. She can't see her kids. She loses her job, and that's just not fair. Uh, and so we've given law enforcement much better information and instructions on the scene, and then also courts have better information to determine who really is the perpetrator and who's the victim. So we've done a lot of good work there uh, and are holding people accountable, protecting victims much better, and uh, proud of that work as well. Public safety is a big term. What else other than impaired driving and domestic violence, what kind of things have you focused on? There are sort of two categories of work in the committee. The first is the stuff that everybody agrees on. We want to reduce impaired driving. We want to reduce domestic violence. We want to reduce sexual assault, a, a, a huge, uh, intractable, chronic social problem. Uh, human trafficking, uh, both sex trafficking and labor trafficking here in Washington state is disproportionate uh, to other places in the country. And we've made great progress in all of those areas uh, from domestic violence and impaired driving and the, we've really tackled the uh, human trafficking problem. Uh, we rate the highest in the country in terms of the strength of our laws in protecting victims. But then there's the other part, the, uh, it's more of a philosophical part of our work and that is what is justice? This large question. Uh, frankly, as an attorney uh, and trained in the law, I think of the business of government as justice, not in ju just in the justice system, but in education and in healthcare and, and you know throughout our society. In my committee, we do talk about justice itself. So, for instance, uh, if someone repeatedly drives drunk and really never gets held accountable for it, there's a sense in our society that that, that there's not enough justice and and that we should incarcerate them even if there might be no statistical proof that incarcerating somebody for longer will reduce drunk driving out there. But we have to have confidence in the justice system. Uh, and so that goes both ways. So on the one hand, uh, we do want to be holding people accountable and sending the right message. But on the other hand, we're incarcerating people because of the color of their skin or because of their socioeconomic status. Uh, we're making it very difficult for people who have been in prison to re-enter the community because of the, f the financial burdens uh, put upon them, the, the fines and fees and penalties. That's another thing that I've been working very hard on to try to modify what we call legal financial obligations, the LFOs, the, uh, the fines and fees. Uh, and we're still working on that. That's a tough one. Even lower sentences, some of these, you know, that goes the other direction. Some people who... Uh, you know, didn't know what they were doing. Some kid who was a driver maybe for uh, uh, committing a crime didn't know how serious the crime was going to be, all the older people who committed the crime, and then he gets put in prison for, you know, decades where they plea, they know what they're doing, they plea to, you know, three, four, five years. So we're trying to address that sort of thing as well. Uh, and we have a lot of disagreements. So I, I think we've agreed in a bipartisan fashion to reduce the harm from crimes that we all uh, frown upon and that are go against our, our social values, uh, and yet there's uh, more controversy in terms of what truly is justice, uh, no matter how much it costs on the one on the one hand, and uh, the need to be more even-handed uh, on the other. And I, I've seen that probably America has seen that uh, most starkly uh, with the war on drugs. The war on drugs has been the most corrosive, bipartisan disaster. Uh, in the 20th and now in the 21st century. It's starting to wind down now, but I do say that I've, I've taken a leadership role in Washington State and nationally uh, in helping to raise the voice against this uh, perpetual war on drugs. It's a war sort of meant to be waged and not won. Granted that it is essentially an unmitigated disaster, what have you been doing to try to ameliorate that situation 
at least a little bit? Well, even before I got elected, uh, I was very active in uh, drug policy reform, raising the professional voice, lawyers, doctors, uh, pharmacists, uh, uh, civic leaders, religious leaders, uh, to uh, convince the legislature that we should not be locking up people who are addicted, but we should provide them therapeutic treatment instead. And also the tough question about what do you do about the, the substances themselves? Should we legalize them? And when I first ran for office, uh, boy, was I hit hard. This guy wants to, this lawyer crusading to legalize, sort of using key words, you know. And my uh, popularity skyrocketed, which sort of illustrates that the people are always ahead of the politicians. And that also demonstrates that our system is truly democratic. We, we are reactive. Uh, the legislature doesn't get ahead of the people. We listen uh, if we're doing our good job. I mean, that's really my first job is to listen. I'm out there listening all the time. And so, um, uh, you know, this, this war on drugs is finally winding down, uh, but it took getting the right uh, messenger, uh, and that was the professional voice, so that then legislators could say, oh, okay, we've got someone at our back. Uh, you know, it really matters, the, the image. Politics is a lot of, about perception, right? Well, speaking exactly of listening to the people, we're about out of time here, but before we go, I want to ask you, what have you been hearing lately from the people? What are you looking towards in the future? I'm out there in the community a lot, both uh, going to people's homes and, and community meetings and uh, the coffee shop, the local coffee shop in my neighborhood is basically my office uh, where people can meet me at any time. I try to be as responsive and accessible as, as possible. And what I'm hearing is not about the craziness that we see on the, on the TV news, you know, this sort of national campaign full of hatred. What I hear about is, hey, the sidewalk needs to be fixed, or there's no sidewalk. We want the kids to be able to walk to school safely, or, or gosh, the, the price of gasoline is going up. What's going on? Or, or traffic, you know, these sort of literally on-the-ground issues. And a job like mine is to listen to people and see what I can do to address those issues that matter to the people in their homes, in their neighborhoods. And that's why, you know, domestic violence and drunk driving have been such major focuses for me. And so it's really common sense. Uh, and I, I just enjoy helping to build community and just feeling like I'm making a difference, making a positive difference. Common sense sounds like a good place to stop. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate you spending a few minutes with Capital Ideas today. Thanks very much. Great opportunity. I appreciate it. That's today's Capital Ideas. You can subscribe on iTunes or at housedemocrats.wa.gov, and we hope you will. After all, it's your state government, and the more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. For the Washington State House Democrats, I'm Dan Frizzell.